0: Hey, this is Eric McCoy with the Recovering Through Highness and Today I have a special guest. This is my wife. Hello. And her name is Morella McCoy. And in uh, the book Pain, Failure and Misery are the stepping stones to success. I have a chapter in there that's called Let Our Voices Echo. And I wrote the book for, towards a lot of different people. And obviously the people that are currently struggling, anybody that's interested in understanding what getting into the mind of a crazy drug user is like and families. And that was sort of a big topic. I've been in the industry. Industry for uh, about 16 years now, and I've worked with a lot of families, and a lot of families have asked me over the years since my son has been in and out of rehab over and over and over. Is there any hope for my child? And the answer to that is always yes. I actually firmly believe that everybody has a chance if they really want this and if they're willing to fight for this. And you know, one of the mottos I have in my in my book is: No matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight. And so. It's tough on families with kids out there running around and unsure on whether they're alive a lot of times. And so my wife has gone through a situation with her 23 year old son. He also was in that boat of being in and out of recovery. and so I wanted my wife to talk a little bit about what happened and what the situation was with her and what is, I guess in a lot of ways what the best thing for families to do. Um, in terms of this. So if you want to kind of introduce the situation with with your son.
1: Sure. As Eric stated, I am his wife. We have actually been together for eight years and we have five children combined together. Um, So we are the modern day Brady Bunch. And... After meeting Eric and kind of going through a pre a divorce, um, there was a lot of struggle for my children to kind of understand, you know, the separation and now I, there's this new man in their life and so my oldest at that point he was about 16 17 years old and and he decided he, he was going to live with his father and we then moved me and my other kids and Eric, we all moved to another town. And within this time He was struggling quite a bit. Um, Just his family was his friends. He felt like he was alone and didn't have, he had me, but he wanted to stay close to his friends. So, um, and at that time also, his father was completely out of the picture as far as um, being available for him emotionally. So um, I would see him once or twice a month um, when he would come over. He always seemed tired. He always seemed a little withdrawn. And I I tossed it up to it being work-related. He was working too much or just tired, stressed, sad. Um, And I tried talking to him. Several months, maybe a year went by, and, and Eric kept telling me, this kid is on drugs. This kid's on heroin. He's using. And as a mom couldn't believe that so in my history just so you know i have had had addiction in my entire life i have been a daughter of an addict a wife of an addict i've been an addict and now a mother of an addict um i
0: can you know addiction
1: i know addiction really well so i can easily say that being the mother of an addict was the most difficult thing i ever had to do and to this day uh I still think about that time and the decisions that I had to make, um, once I came to terms with the fact that he was an addict.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's really important for families to maybe understand what it looks like and to kind of, you know, see the warning signs with their kids in a lot of ways. And I know with, um, your son, And that was sort of one of the things that I just kept noticing, especially with heroin users, you know, obviously they have very pinned eyes, you know, there, there's really no dilation as far as the individuals that are using heroin and obviously sleeping all the time and him being late to our wedding. (laughs) He was supposed to show up at our wedding and, and, uh. Showed up
1: about 15 minutes late. Yeah,
0: he was, he was a little bit late. and so yeah, there definitely were a lot of signs, the irresponsibility, um, you know, a lot of times
1: sloppiness.
0: Not being able to get a hold of.
1: Right. Yeah, it was frustrating because like, like Eric said, he mentioned the wedding, you know, and again, just excuse after excuse coming out of my mind that he was just tired from working too much and he was stressed and I I couldn't picture my child using drugs and nobody around me could tell me different, especially my own soon to be husband. It wasn't until I I had to open my own eyes and finally see it. I think that parents need to realize that us telling our kids don't do drugs is not... Going to stop them from doing drugs if they have if they have the ability to get high or they have friends that are getting high that's much more of an influence than what you tell your kids. Now that's not to say that every kid's going to use drugs because you do tell your kids don't use, don't do this, don't do that. Um, And there's some kids that listen and some kids that don't have any desire to do it. And I have one of those too. He wants nothing to do with drugs, nothing to do with alcohol. So you know, it's kind of two different. Sides of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the problems that a lot of people find too, especially with their kids is that, Oh, they don't love me. You know, they're, uh, stealing from me and all that kind of stuff. And I, I also always like to tell people too that drug use has nothing to do with love.
1: Absolutely. 100% 100% agree. I remember several times, you know, during the after finding out that he was using and convincing him to get help and, and begging him to find a different way in life. Um, I would I would ask him why he was doing this to me. Why would you do this to me? Why would you know you are loved? I done nothing but love you. How can you do this to me? Do you not love me? Do you not take, you know? And, and throughout all that, I had to find out it had nothing to do with me. So parents blame themselves. Um, we really do. It's, it's a difficult situation because it, they get to a point where if they fall when they're two, three years old, we put a band-aid on it. We give them a kiss, a boo-boo, and they're fine. When they're old enough to make these choices, there's not much you can do to fix it.
0: There's nothing you can do. And that's the hard part. You know, they put all this money in, they send them to rehab, and then they screw up, and then they put them back in rehab, and then they screw up, and then they put them back in rehab. And the problem is, is that you're doing something of what you want them to do, and it's ultimately not really what they want to do. And usually when that process continues, you know, we always kind of think about it like, oh, we love our kids, and, you know, so we don't want to abandon them. And in a sense, you're actually killing them.
1: Absolutely. So I remember w- with my oldest, because Eric has been in the industry, he was able to really help us get him into some pretty good rehabs, able to, to find the right help for him. He would last maybe about a week or two and he'd be doing great. He'd Clean up and within two to three weeks or, or even sometimes less than a week, he was, he'd disappear. He just, he basically escaped from the rehab. Um, not like they keep him tied down, but he would basically say, I'm out of here. I got things I got to do. Things to do. Things to do. There's (laughs) There's always, addicts always have things to do, right? So I would get the call and say, Hey, just want to let you know Alex took off and it would start the cycle over again. I'd start crying, wondering why he was doing this to me and his family. He didn't love us. It was the constant. This happened, I think, about almost five times. This happened five times. So he's in and out of rehab, would escape. Sometimes he'd end up in jail. And, uh, you know, jail doesn't really hold you for long. And so they it's kind of different from when you were younger and in jail and it was a felony. Now it's just a misdemeanor in California. So it was this really bad, endless cycle. And um, there was something that you said to me that always resonates with the final decision that I had to make. And I had to stop blaming myself. And you could say that to your blue in the face, but Eric said if your son would have been successful, went to college, became a CEO of a big or- organization. Would you take credit for that? And I said, no, that would be because of his hard work and dedication. And he said, then why are you taking credit for his drug addiction? And that I tell everybody that now that I hear it from, because from that point forward, after he told me that it was, I've got to make some really tough choices. And most mothers or fathers or or parents of any kind, that adore their children, would not be able to do what I finally did. And that was, I had to turn my back on my son. I had to tell him no more. I'm not helping you. You can't live with me. I'm not giving you money. I'm taking your car. Um, you need to figure this out. You need to figure this out. And it was the worst six months of my life.
0: Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, and and what's interesting is what ended up happening, you know, Absolutely. because, you know, he we stopped helping, mm-hmm. you know, we so we stopped, you know, kind of giving him the support in a sense so that he could figure it out for himself. Um, he did obviously get some direction, you know, in terms of getting into treatment, but it was a decision that he had to make and that he had to ultimately do for himself. And it wasn't until that happened, and thank God that he did decide to do that for himself, yeah. that things changed around. Because at this point in time, it was not you wanting it for him. Exactly. It was ultimately him reaching that place to where he wanted it for himself. Because that's the only way I think it ever means anything to anybody, yeah. is you have they have to ultimately want it for them not you wanting it for them right
1: absolutely and for parents out there i mean that's really what it boils down to it's not about what we want for them anymore i mean i i think any parent can agree that the moment they're holding their newborn child in their arms they automatically have humongous amount of dreams and and you know thoughts of for their own children and So when it doesn't start to happen that way and you realize it's like, it's so hard not to blame yourself. I remember clearly dropping him off. He wasn't, he was finally in rehab for 45 days. Within that time, at his 45th day, I unfortunately lost my mother, which he was very close to. I had to go to the rehab that day and tell him that his grandmother had died. His nana had died. And he took it pretty hard. So he came home with me that, that night and, you know, we did the funeral and we did all that kind of stuff. And at this point he had decided to go to a, um, sober living home. And so 45 days, he did great. Let's take him to a sober living house. And we did, he went to the sober living within four days. He had run off and, and he was gone. So it was literally four days after burying my mother, my child disappeared on me. No idea where he was at. Um, wasn't obviously not answering his phone because he didn't want to tell mom where he was at. Um, and in a sense, I almost had to bury my own child. I had to come up with the worst case scenario in my head and say goodbye to him because I didn't know if the next call that I got was going to be from a morgue to come identify his body or if it was going to be from him to say he was ready for help. So that's why I said it was the worst six months of my life to try to, to, try to help do that. And I know most parents are not, they don't understand that turning your back is the most important thing you can do to save an addict.
0: I was going to read something real quick. And this is out of, I'm, I'm actually in the process. Uh, I'm going to be doing the, my book in audio version. And out of the chapter that I have for, um, let our voices echo. I have that one part in here called healing me. And um, so I was going to read this part real quick. So despite what you may feel at this moment, you deserve happiness and a life that demands joy, a self-love that allows you to separate from external pain and internally appreciate what you do have at this moment right here and right now. As I discussed earlier in this book, fear can be overthrown by an appreciation that will ground you. Healing me can be equated with happiness equals a loving, invigorating, never-ending, grateful, multifaceted exaltation. It's the strength that comes from many facets as we come together and support each other through love and gratitude that allows us an ability to rejoice. Shame and blame is what I've seen mostly throughout the years that will hold you down and destroy your life. It's time that we stand together. As there's, as there's no need to do this alone and love together. Let our voices echo. We have millions of individuals and families that are suffering at this moment from chemical dependency, and it's time that we take a stand. I'm asking for families who have lost children to this epidemic to remove yourself from the shadows and step forward with your stories as this will help your healing process and help others. We must stand together as a country for our country and with our country. With all the separations that we see in politics, religions, beliefs and ideas, we have one thing in common and that's this issue at hand. We've all been affected at some point and it's time that we stand together without judgment, hatred and disgust to address this. Why are we not discussing the truth behind this at funerals? Why are we so ashamed to discuss the problems with others let our voices echo parents sacrifice their time energy and existence to focus on another person and raise him or her to the best of their abilities unfortunately the person that has been focused on tends to lack any appreciation and feels entitled as they nail the parents to a cross for an excruciating sacrifice and so that's one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to really do this, you know, as we talk about with Letter Voices Echoes is that we got to talk about these things. We've got to discuss this, you know.
1: We have to because, like I said, a parent is so used to just putting a Band-Aid and fixing it. So when we can't fix something when it comes to our children, we're, we're, we don't know what to do. We, we, we're lost. We're confused. And, and even, even the advice of of the most qualified person. We, we shun away, you know, um, Eric had told me several times, you need to let this go. You need to let him go. And it wasn't until he said what he said, where I had to open my eyes and say, yeah, it's time to let him go. And it also has to do a lot with having to seek therapy for myself in the sense of you have to learn to, that you're not in control of anybody else. You're not in control of your children. You're not in control of your husband. You're not in control of anybody. Their choices are theirs. And um, so in combination of the two, I finally had to realize that I had to let him go. And I do realize that if I would have figured it out sooner, it Everything would have happened sooner, but it happened in its own time. I have friends that are struggling with their children in some sort of addiction and, you know, they, they want it. They seek out help and they seek out advice and you give it to them and you tell them, let them go. And they just, they can't do it. They don't understand, but this can happen and that can happen and this can happen. And, and it's true. The person could get pass out at a park and get raped, that anything can happen.
0: Well, that's the fear. You know, the parents are like, oh, my God, if I don't do something, if I don't protect them or if I don't save them, they're going to die. Right,
1: and that would be, as a parent, my fault.
0: But the reality being is that there's a better chance they're going to die if you keep moving forward and protecting, 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 because then they fall into this, I can do anything, because my mom will always be there to save me. It's also what we call the God complex, right? In the sense that, you know, if you have any... Belief that you have control and you have full control over somebody. Stop playing God. Yeah. Because you don't. You don't.
1: You don't. And so parents out there, you don't have control of their decisions. It's not about love, like Eric said. It's not that they don't love you. It's not that they, um, you know, didn't hear your words that you told them about drugs. It really is a choice that they made and that you have no control over
0: so you're battling something that is playing on a level of survival for them and that's why it it, and again it's not that they don't love you it's that the drugs and when we study the physiological effects you know that pleasure part of the brain that dopamine and the release of dopamine is on a level of survival right so Even though it's irrational and and it doesn't make sense from an outside perspective, but when you're doing drugs, you are manipulating the part of the brain that that has to do with survival. So internally, they're thinking, if I don't have this, I'm going to die. What is above survival? Nothing. So that's why we say that it has nothing to do with love. Right. right. It has to do with in that true addictive mindset, their brain is saying, I need this or I'm gonna die. So I will steal from you. I will take this. I will do whatever I need to make sure that I get the supply, or I'm going to die. Right? And that's why my book and the par- the paradox in a sense, you know, with the book is that pain keeps people using, but pain is the only way they're going to get clean and sober. Right. You know, most people start drugs, start using drugs to avoid pain. And as they continue using, they're continuing to do something to eliminate what they ultimately started it for, which is to avoid pain, right? right. So, so the drugs are reducing the pain, but in a sense, they're actually causing more pain. Right. And so and then as it's causing more pain, there has to be an enormous amount of pain to stop, stop. versus to continue using.
1: And that's kinda of, I think where the saying says, I'm tired of being tired. Tired of being I'm tired of know, being sick and tired. Tired yeah, tired yeah. of being sick and tired. Yeah. Um, I'm and sick, as at, I'm sick at, and
0: tired of being sick and tired. That's what yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, and You know, and I I put myself in my, in my shoes when I was, when I was using, I did go into rehab, not on my own free will. You know, my, my mother put me in rehab, I was there for, for a while. And, and when I came out, I had already started contacting friends and being like, Hey, we're going to hang out. We're going to go do this. You know, let's go do this. I want to get high. But my mom was such a babysitter. She did not let me out of her sight. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself right and so at the finally about a month after i had wasn't in rehab um my older sister was having a child and so her and my dad went to the hospital to go see them and you know whatever and i snuck in the boyfriend and um you know uh whatever And in a couple week or, or a couple weeks before that i had snuck in the boyfriend actually and so when they were out i was going to go hang out with some friends going to get high again i was super excited and i went to smoke a cigarette and it grossed me out. Like it made me, and I was I was a smoker back then, but it made me want to vomit. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel so sick. I got clammy. I was really grossed out. Well, it turns out I was pregnant <laughs> with this said child. And um, he was my motivation then not to get high. Uh, you know, so that's when I stopped using. And I mean, I had no intentions on staying clean. You know, and so because he became my motivation, I never, you know, I didn't use again, um, except for a small relapse later, but you know, I never used again. And so if you, they don't have anything to motivate them to stay clean, they're not going to stay clean. Right.
0: And that's, uh, and that's what I, and I talked kind of before on this podcast too, is that. You know, everybody's motivated by one of two ways. And the first way, which is they're motivated by moving away from a painful experience, Mm -hmm. right? So there has to be an enormous amount of pain. so the family can help in that sense by moving away, by stopping to support, by no longer helping. Because now it's time, you know what, you need to figure it out. You need to go out there. And by me no longer supporting their drug use by... Protecting them all the time, they're have they're going to have a better chance of gaining that pain that they need to to say, "Whoa, wait a minute, I, maybe I need to do something."
1: And it's also as a parent, it's self love for ourselves. This this person, whether they're your child or not, is causing you pain, is causing you worry and destruction, and you have to make a choice. Do I want this for myself, and am I helping him in the long run? So, in the sense, you're you're both hurting. You know, as a parent, you're hurting because you can't fix the problem. This, your child is hurting because, well, when you're bugging them, they don't want to quit what they're doing, you know, and they don't see a problem with it. Most addicts don't see a problem with what they're using. They think everybody else is the problem, right? So six months, he was on the streets. I think he called me once or twice, you know, asking for help again. And I, you know, I wouldn't give it to him. I said, sorry, I can't, I can't help you. He ended up in jail for, I think, 15 days. He wanted to come home after he got out of jail. I said no, um, couldn't help him. And finally, um, I get a call that he's on his way to rehab in another state. He didn't want to be in, in California anymore because it was too much of, there's too many influences, but he made that choice. He made that choice and... I didn't have any influence with him. I didn't give him any money. I didn't help him out. He got a ride out there. He figured it all out. In fact, I was talking to him today. He called me for my birthday and was talking to him and I was telling him that we were going to be doing this podcast and he was actually really excited. And he said, you know, mom, I did get to the point where it was like, I didn't want to do this anymore. You know, I, I didn't have like this massive motivation, but I just couldn't live like this anymore. It was miserable, and so it was it. He he made that decision on his own, and he saw that on his own, and he realized I have nobody at this point. You know, I I my mom turned his back on me, and mind you, when I did talk to him, I always let him know I love you, but I'm not going to love you to death. And so he understood that now. He understands that, and he's never held any resentment towards me. In regards to that decision. In fact, before he left to um, to where the rehab was at, he actually wanted to see me, and I hadn't seen him for six months. But I had heard through the grapevine that he pretty much looked like heck. You know, he looked horrible. Um, track marks on his arm and all that jazz that that heroin addicts have. And again, with the self love, I had to say, "Am I ready to see him like that?" And I told him, "No." I said, "I." can't see you. I couldn't see him one because I knew if I saw him, I would become weak and want to help him in whatever situation it was. But I also wanted to remember him as the child, the baby, the the baby I held in my arms kind of thing. And so I had to do that for my own self to protect my own self.
0: With heroin users in today's age and the way things are going, especially with the overdose rates, it's actually better for people to not go into rehab. Until they've made a decision, or you know have a good chance of stopping by them motivating, because when and this is sort of what we're seeing a lot is that when these heroin addicts they go into rehab, they get clean, they had a big tolerance when they went in, they go in, their tolerance goes way down, they leave treatment, they decide to go out and use their relapse, and then they do typically the same amount that they used before, and then they die, you know and It's almost, I mean, in a sense, and it's kind of a crazy thing to say, but, you know, especially when it comes to heroin, kids are better off not going to rehab until they do sort of make a decision that I want to do this or hopefully, you know, because it really doesn't work when you have other people wanting it for them. Right you know right. i mean i can want them you know all i want to to do it and you know i again work in this industry and i've done it for years and i've worked with a lot of various different age groups all adults mm-hmm. um but and, and i've worked with so many families that mm-hmm. i'm here because my parents want me to be here you're screwed right. you know totally. you're not going to make it you know you know, the motivation going back to that idea is that, you know, everybody's motivated by one of two ways. And the second way that people are motivated is by moving towards something good or something better in, li- in right. their life. So goals and dreams and things like that. Nobody goes into rehab because they want to go into rehab. And, and I do always say, I mean, whatever brings people into rehab, that's fine. But if they don't change the motivation to I'm doing it for myself and I'm doing it for my goals and my dreams and I want to be happy and I want to feel good the rest of my life. If they just maintain the, I'm in rehab because my parents want me here. I'm in rehab because my, my wife or husband's going to divorce me. They're never going to make it.
1: Right. And nobody starts using yeah. drugs because they said, i want to grow up to be a drug user. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, he has his own dreams and his own wants. I know one day he wants to be a father. Um, he wants, he wants a family. He wants to be married and have children. And, and, um, I think he realized that the life he was living, he was never going to have that and he was going to end up being alone. And so he is motivated, you know, um, fortunately he's now been clean for two years and, you know, um, never had to use any kind of drug to help him get off the heroin. What is it that they use? Suboxone. Um, suboxone or anything like that. So he was able to kind of fight through that pain and, and be able to get through it. So he stayed in rehab for about 90 days. Um, and then got his own place, his own apartment. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, um, mine is a success for success story. I know there's so many parents out there don't have a success story. And I still worry about him. I still worry. Are you going to relapse if 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 life gets too stressful or you know that kind of stuff? But I but I know now that. I have no control.
0: Yeah, what's more important than anything is for the families to love themselves, to care about themselves, Absolutely. and to take care of themselves. So no matter what the end result is, they're going to be okay. And sadly, it does end sometimes with their kids dying and them not making it. Back when I was in high school, and I think I was a freshman in high school, there was a kid who had... Died, I think on New Year's Eve, he was driving 16 years old or 17 years old and he was driving and and drove, he was drunk and drove off an overpass and car flipped and killed himself. And I remember the, the parents of the kid. It destroyed them. Oh yeah! Absolutely destroyed them. They lost one of the guys. He lost his job. They lost their house. They ended up divorcing all over this situation with their child, which again is a horrible thing. But I think it is so important. That's why Alanon. Alanon talks about this idea of detachment. The detachment is not where you say, "Okay, I don't love my kid anymore," but I'm distancing myself emotionally, which is the same concept of what we like when we work in the industry and we work with people. If you're working with people for thirty days. 60 days, 90 days, six months, we are all humans and we sort of care about these people right. as, as humans. And so as even as counselors and as therapists or whatever, we have to distance ourselves and make sure that we keep an emotional disconnection there because it happens, yeah. you know, they're going to die. You know, some of them are going to die. We always say statistic wise, that it's kind of a horrible thing to say, but you know, if we got a room of 10, you're going to have eight of those 10 that are going to continue relapsing and not make it. You may have one that's going to succeed and you're going to have one that's going to die or maybe two succeed, but one's going to die. Right. And that's uh, and and I can honestly say that sadly it is what i am seeing.
1: Yeah, and I think that the the truth of the matter is that if you continue to enable, or you continue to help and give them, you know, guidance, and, and they just don't listen. They keep doing what they're going to do. They're going to die anyway, right? So why do that to yourself? Why why destroy your own life um, in the process of? trying to help this one person who doesn't want help. Right. And the other motivation I had to finally say, I can't keep helping you is I, I had two other smaller kids that needed my attention. And I couldn't give this one child every moment, every breath that I took all his attention, because that was neglecting my other two. So I think one of the things that I struggle with now, um, just kind of making sure I don't, Put his mistakes onto the other two kids. I let Alex go out too, too often or let him go out a little too much with his friends and, and party with his friends a little too often. Um, so I don't want you to going out on the weekends or I don't want you to go to a New Year's Eve party because you may do what Alex did or, you know, those kind of things. So it, that's kind of what I struggle with sometimes. And I have to think back and, and remember that each child is different and just learn from that. And so I think the biggest part of me wanting to be on this podcast is really for the voice of the parents. And, um, you know, I have friends that are struggling with their kids and their addiction and, and I know what's right for them to do. And it's hard for, um, to hear from somebody to say, you need to turn your back. You could love them from afar. Um, that's the only way that one, you're going to survive as a human being, because it's, if you keep trying to help them, it's going to drive you crazy. Um, and two, to give that child a chance to make their own decision, and, and so I think that's really why I wanted to kind of get on the podcast and kind of talk about um, the parent aspect of it and and the struggles that we go through because we're used to fixing everything when it comes to our kids and and I remember looking at looking at my son at one point with one of the rehabs that we were at, and his eyes were dead. I saw my child, but my child wasn't in there anymore. Something else that had taken over, obviously the drugs, you know, and it's like, I, I remember telling him, um, I will help my child when my child's back, but you're not my child. I said, right now you are a person who has made really bad decisions and... I can't help you anymore so it was it was tough and and i think you might remember you know driving from temecula all the way back home and pretty much i cried my eyes out the entire way because it was it 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 really really hurt to make that decision but if you ask me now hindsight always being 2020 i should have made it sooner that's the only difference
0: well, I want to thank you definitely for doing this. This is exciting, and I know, obviously, with your story, it's a success story, which is great. I mean, this is a, this is absolutely amazing, you yeah. know, what he did. And I know he's doing great, and he's still, obviously, in Arizona. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and end this, and I, I really appreciate it. Really, and thank uh, you for this me. was This was really good. And then we'll see you next time on uh, Recovering Through Highness.